The following is an editorial statement from the Nathan B. Stubblefield Foundation Board of Directors. WMNF condemns the indefensible war on Ukraine and calls for an expedient, diplomatic, and peaceful resolution to this conflict. We stand with the free people of Ukraine, the war protesters in Russia, and the millions of innocent people impacted in the region. We urge our listeners to support international organizations working to stop further human and environmental devastation. Visit WMNF.org. For information on how to help, this is WMNF Tampa. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Hello, Kenny. <laughs> Hi, Annie. How was your week? It was great. I gardened a lot. I uh, did a whole lot of work. I had a helper yesterday, so we filled up like, oh my God, so much green waste, which I used a lot in my compost. And yeah. I opened up one of my composts, so that's fantastic, too. That's very good. Yeah. I am recovering from World Carnivorous Plant Day. <laughs> uh, I went to the USF Botanical Gardens on Saturday. It was a great show. And then yesterday was my birthday. Happy birthday! Yeah. <laughs> You're so young, gosh. Thanks, and I spent the day gardening as well. Yes, as well. Our pleasant moments. Yes. So answering your calls today is Greg. Thank you, Greg, for sticking around for our show. And working the boards and keeping us in check is Mr. Bill Grace. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful for these guys. Um, today, this is Annie, and uh, today we're talking with Siki Coco, the principal designer at Down to Earth Design. She founded the company in 1998 to help people achieve their dreams of living in natural, healthy homes. Siggy's uniquely collaborative design process provides a high level of information and support encouraging her clients to engage fully throughout design and construction. Siggy also teaches natural building workshops and empower her clients to contribute meaningfully during the construction of their own home. Her site is miraculous. You guys have got to go see this. Uh, welcome to the program, Siggy. We're so happy you're here. Oh, thank you so much. It's quite an honor to be here. Oh. Thanks for that lovely introduction. Well, you're the lovely girl, that's why, <laughs> or person, let's just say. <laughs> so, um, I looked at your site, and it's, I mean, not looked, I studied it, quite honestly, and it is pretty remarkable what you've been doing for a long time. I was wondering, what background did you have when you founded the company Down to Earth Design? Oh, so I, I have an architecture background. Okay. So I have a master's in architecture, and then um, I did a very conventional internship, uh, which is required with architecture, and then I started my own company to do what I really wanted to do, which yeah. was natural building. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's quite a difference uh, on what uh, you're trained in. It's uh, amazing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you for, for bringing this forth because, you know, we want this. And, and unless you know it's there, you just, you can't do anything. So what does a sustainable natural building mean? Please. Well, so I have, I have sort of a, a 
the definition that I use, there's sort of two two ways that I look at it. One is sort of that uh, the UN definition, which is um, that we of sustainability, which is that we make choices today that don't impair future generations of living with at least as high a standard of living as we live today, right? So that we don't imperil the earth so that future generations don't have the opportunities that we have. Um, but the way I think of natural buildings specifically is using as many local materials as possible that are available in nature that are then harvested without harm and are used in a way to create healthy, energy-efficient buildings. So what that typically means is um, some kind of insulating exterior wall system, which I use a lot of straw bale because I live in a region with lots of farming, so straw is quite ubiquitous. And uh, the other very common sort of um, very hip right now material would be hempcrete, which is made with uh, hemp fiber, well, hemp herd, but from the hemp plant. Um, And then combining those insulation materials with mass, thermal mass materials, which are materials that can store heat energy. And those are typically made with clay or stone or things like that. And clay is available in the ground everywhere (laughs) underneath our feet. (laughs) Yeah, we look for it. Everything's there, isn't it? I was wondering about that hipcrete. Uh, Is that baled like you would use in the uh, straw baling or how does that work? That is actually, uh, so they're hemp herds. If they take the, the woody stalk of the hemp plant and, and it's chipped up in a manufacturing process. Oh. I mean, it's a very light manufacturing process, but nevertheless. Um, and so you get these sort of, um, it's like, it's finer than mulch, but it has it's crunchy like mulch. And then you... Um, Around that, you put a particular type of lime, which is a calcium hydroxide, um, and that lime reacts with CO2 to harden in place, uh, but the type of lime is used also reacts with water. But you mix them together, and it looks sort of like granola with yogurt on it. <laughs> Um, and then you tamp it into, (laughs) yeah, this this is natural building is always a food analogy to me. Um, and you tamp it into, like, if you had a conventional stud frame wall, uh, instead of putting that insulation, you would tamp this granola mixture into that wall system. Um, and because of all the little air pockets, it's insulating. And because the lime coats each hemp herd, it, it, when it cures, it glues all the fibers together. So it's this sort of monolithic um, insulation material. That is brilliant. I just love that. So I just want to clarify, you're making houses and outdoor showers and homes and barns and sheds out, and the insulation is made out of straw or hemp, and then because you're putting something around it, it doesn't decompose? That's correct. So, well, there's sort of a bunch of principles to prevent decomposition. Um, But generally, without water, nothing decomposes. And so that means keep water out of the wall. And that means looking at the bottom of the wall, looking at the top of the wall, looking at every door and window penetration, and then making sure you don't have leaks or condensation inside the wall. But then, yes, the, the, the... 
material that you're insulating with is completely encapsulated, usually with a natural plaster, which is made with clay or that same lime. Yeah, because your designs are definitely beautiful. Oh, there's lots so of gorgeous. curves and there's yeah. like two-story buildings. But um, I just, I mean, I obviously you know what you're doing because you've been doing <laughs> it for so long. But initially, maybe to the listener, they're like, oh my goodness, it's like a... It's like uh, the Three Little Pigs. <laughs> there's like clay and hay, and <laughs> <laughs> there's and it's sort of brick too because yeah. of the adobe. So I can you speak to adobe. the how long these buildings are meant to last? Oh well, so I mean, we there are existing today. There are natural buildings around the world that are over a thousand years old. <gasps> right. So before the Industrial Revolution, every building was a natural building because we didn't have a world-based economy. We couldn't just ship something over from half the world away. And so we had to build with local materials. And if you, in areas where they built with environmental harm, some of that harm still exists, right? Yeah. So um, really, I think the, the modern, there's sort of two modern applications to natural building. One is um, we have we know more science now, particularly in terms of how to keep buildings warm in winter or cool in summer. Um, and, you know, that has to do with glass and energy and all of that, passive solar design and all of that. Um, but I think the other thing is that we have the luxury of um, making choices that don't harm the environment. And that was not always the case, right? So, um, but in terms of longevity, um, natural buildings last at least as long as conventional construction. Conventional construction is actually, usually requires some maintenance within a decade of building. And that is not true of a natural building. Oh, that surprises me. I'm I'm delighted to have you say that because I was think I have a hundred year old house and it has great plaster on the outside, but I definitely have to stay on top of that because of cracking and settling. You know, the frame is on post above ground, and so I was wondering about that. Like, um, how do you how do you get started on that? Like. What? How do you decide what materials you use? Is it because you're local, you'll decide to use what's there? And then the other thing is, how do you, what's your foundation? I was interested mm. in that. Oh, those are great questions. Okay, so in terms of how to choose a material, the first question I ask is, what is the performance we're trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. So I will choose always an insulating material for an exterior wall because where I live, we have four seasons, right? And I don't want to make something that's completely natural, but requires a ton of heat energy in the wintertime. Yeah. That wouldn't be really responsible, right? Um, so that's always the first question. Do I want an insulating material or do I want a material that will um, hold up as a plaster or do I want a material that will store heat energy? So asking what what is it that, you're, that you want the material to do mm -hmm. and then you shortlist what materials will do that. So for example, with the exterior plastering, um, the question I ask clients is there's sort of three choices for the exterior of a straw bale. One is you could put siding on it. Oh. So if, if you don't want to deal with plaster at all, you could just uh -huh. put siding on it. Um, the second is you could use a clay plaster, which is 
made with clay soils, which are found everywhere in the world, underneath your feet, somewhere. Um, I think in Florida, it's probably a little deep, um, but certainly nearby there's clay. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing with clay is that it's an extremely durable material, but it erodes with weather. So you either would need extremely large overhangs, like think wraparound porch, um, or you have to accept that there will be erosion from rain that will be visible. Um, it's, it's generally aesthetic, the erosion, not um, structural. In other words, the plaster won't fail from the erosion over a very, very, very long period of time it will, but not in the short term. Um, but most people want their home to look like it was new always, mm -hmm. yeah. right? That's sort of our preset in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so generally then I go toward a lime plaster, which is um, basically turns into a calcium carbonate, which is limestone. Um, but you're making a plaster that turns into limestone on the wall. Um, and so it's extremely durable. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's generally the one that people opt for is the lime plaster because there's almost no maintenance on the lime plaster. Now, settling is a different issue. That's a structural issue that has nothing to do with the materials that are choosing. So it sounds like what you're experiencing with cracking has to do with the foundation, um, which the foundation I like to use, and it would prevent that settling, let me tell you. <laughs> um, it's called a rubble trench foundation, rubble-like rock. Um, and it's essentially, you dig a ditch underneath your structure, you dig it down to whatever your frost is, um, because the ground that freezes, um, water expands when it freezes. And so the ground actually moves in the area where it freezes. Mm -hmm. Um, you then fill that ditch with gravel, like driveway gravel, um, and then tamp it as you put it in. And then you build your structure on top of that. And the idea is that you are now taking all of the water away from underneath the building. And water is the number one cause of issues with a foundation. And so by taking the water away, you eliminate the problem that causes foundations to move. Okay. Uh, sounds That sounds good. It's uh, I'm going to have to think about that. I might not want to fill the whole bottom with gravel at this point. <laughs> we need to do a reintroduction, Siggy. Um, I am Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on uh, WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Siggy Coco, the principal designer at Down to Earth Design. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on the air. So Siggy, can you tell listeners what uh, Earthship is? Oh, I'm not a fan of Earthships. Okay, because I was going to ask you, what's the difference between what you do and an Earthship? So an Earthship uh, is, is similar to what you do or would you? I would argue it's yes. not at all similar. So, <laughs> oh, okay. So to me... Um, an earthship is one very, very specific design um, that the the goal of earthship, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but um, the goal of an earthship was to create closed loop systems. In other words, if you're going to use water and then have wastewater, clean it before you um, 
ditch it so that you're not now creating a pollution mm. source, right? So if you use water, clean it. Um, if you use energy, create it, right? And then um, the design was built specifically for the high desert of um, like New Mexico, the southwest yeah. U.S., yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of a passive solar design that's meant for that particular climate that's quite sunny, um, especially when it's cold. If you if you then take that, so so the concept is closed loop systems, but what happens is they take the exact same single design and try to put that particular design everywhere. If you just took the systems, you'd be fine. But if you take the design and you plop it in, you know, Nova Scotia, um, it's, or Maine, it's not meant to be in a cloudy, cold um, winter setting. And Mm. so it will actually get damp and moldy inside and use a ton of energy to stay warm and um, you end up with toxic molds, which is a neurotoxin inside the house. So um, that's, to me, then it's a design solution that sh- is meant for a particular climate. Um, and, and are the you, systems that are used, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, are you based out of Pennsylvania? I am based out of Pennsylvania, and, yeah. So we have to deal with all kinds of weather yeah. all the time. Do you do most yeah. of your builds in Pennsylvania or are you traveling a lot. Um, I work. I would say primarily Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, that kind of general area. Um, but I do have a process where I will travel. So, like, I have a project in North Carolina. I've done projects in Vermont, um, New Hampshire, New York. Um, but generally speaking, I try to tell people to find someone near them to work yeah. with because, yeah. you know. Support your local people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you need to be able to have somebody on site a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. Can, without yeah. saying a price, can you tell us how does the cost compare to a traditional house that's the same size? Yep, so um, generally speaking, the a natural home, if you built the exact same home, so if you stepped inside, it was identical conventional versus natural, it would cost exactly the same amount of money. Oh, that's such good news. Yeah. Yeah. So people yeah. could be doing this. Yeah, definitely. It, and right. earlier you were mentioning about the climate. How does the landscape and climate influence your specific design when you're talking to the... Uh, you know the yeah. I wanted to know about the different building materials according to the weather in the area, humidity. So is that kind of like what you're talking about, Kenny? Yeah, yeah. Because I know they're all different, like you were just saying. So how would we figure that out? Well, so there's there's the design, and then there's the materials. So um, from a climate standpoint, the first thing I do is something called passive solar design, which. Um, takes your relationship with the sun all year and your relationship with local wind patterns um, into account to make sure that the design of the structure itself without you doing anything is meant to be as energy efficient as possible right out of the gate. So before you ever turn your heater on, um, for example, here here in the, U- in the Northeast, um, we can eliminate a month of heating at the beginning of winter and a month of heating at the end of winter just by the way the building is designed, right? 
Um, for you guys, it would be a cooling question, yes. right? So how do you eliminate cooling? And it's feasible to eliminate the need for air conditioning in a natural building mm-hmm. because you have chosen, because you have designed it to um, have a relationship with the sun, which is mm-hmm. keep it out, please, right? <laughs> and you've designed it to um, magnify any breeze to cool it naturally and you keep this heat of the sun out and then you put lots of mass inside. So then the material question is how do you use materials to best um, create that energy efficiency once you've designed it in relation to your place? Um, You're using essentially insulation materials when you want to keep one side of a wall a different temperature than the other side of the wall. So for example, if you want to be 70 degrees inside and it's 105 outside, how do you how do you keep that temperature differential for the least amount of energy possible? And that's an insulation prevents the heat from traveling from one side to the other. And then you use um, a category of materials called thermal mass, which is essentially think of your battery in your phone Mm-hmm. But instead of storing electricity, you're storing heat. Mm-hmm. And what that also means is if it's in the shade, it's storing coolness. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when you step into a cave anywhere in the U.S., any time of year, it's going to be 57 degrees inside that cave. Mm-hmm. Period. Right? So, um, and the reason is because the Earth is this enormous thermal mass. It's this enormous temperature battery that maintains the average of the entire earth, which is 57 degrees. Um, And you can do the same thing in a building by using mass inside. You can, you can create an average either for a day, you can create an average for a month, you can create an average for a whole year so that the inside temperature averages your weather conditions for a whole entire year. Um, and then if you use clay specifically, you can also absorb humidity. So that, and I think in Florida, that would be clutch. So using lots of clay inside, you would basically have an interior. uh, So for example, if you had adobe walls inside a super insulated structure in Florida, Mm -hmm. um, and there's things you'd need to do to the roof, but uh, assuming you've done those things as well, um, you would have a, just the materials themselves would be keeping the heat out and they would be absorbing both heat and humidity out of the air all the time. So you mentioned the humidity and earlier you were talking about the foundation. What other types of maintenance would you need to do on a natural building to keep it, you know, keep it from getting mold or erosion? Well, is there different maintenance I mean, compared to a other type of house? Much less maintenance than a conventionally built home. Yeah, so, um, I have clients who've never done maintenance that wasn't that wasn't on um, one of the conventional materials. You know, so so. Oh, so um, I was just I was just I mean the materials themselves are more durable. So. Um, and they're hand built and the plaster is super thick. It's not drywall, you know, so it's yeah, much, much, much less maintenance. You were talking also about like 
in the positioning of the building and how you treat how the sun rolls through um, as far as blocking the temperature to keep it, like for Florida, which is what I'm thinking about, is uh, blocking the temperature from being inside and then further in, uh, insulating uh, or uh, treating the inside walls with the plaster to hold the cool, which would be the interior, which actually my old house does a little bit of that, but not as much. I was wondering, do you use uh, trees and so on to block uh, sun like that would be something I would think that would work for a hot environment um, to have trees to block in areas that you didn't want the sun to come in. Absolutely. So in a in well in any climate you can use um, vegetation as your best cooling agent um, because the way plants uh, keep from frying in the sunshine is they evaporate moisture Mm -hmm. out of their leaves, right? And any evaporation process is a net cooling process. Mm -hmm. So if you, I mean, you could literally put plants on your roof and then the roof is cooling itself instead of heating itself up. Absolutely. Because that's what plants do. Yeah. And then absolutely porches, um, trees here, we would use deciduous trees primarily because we want the heat in wintertime and we don't want it in summer. But yes, absolutely. Shade trees will drop the microclimate um, often on average by 15 degrees. Yeah, I would, think, I would think that the, um, the like you were saying, the living roof would probably be a really uh, great uh, beginning on that as well. In Tampa. Yeah, Yesterday, I saw a bank that had purposefully uh, planted a bunch of cattails and like other tall grasses on their roof. Oh, wow. Yeah. I need to go see that. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I made one one time for a client, but you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, Siggy, we want to <laughs> remind listeners because we have a lot of people listening and we want them to be part of the conversation. So, we are encouraging them to give us a call at 813 239 9663. Or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and tell us what you think about natural building. Do you have a natural building? Do you want a natural building? Do you think it would not work in your neighborhood? We want to hear from you. The number is 813-239-9663. So, Siggy, Annie and I, we're, in, we're into this. We Totally. <laughs> I'm very excited about the show. <laughs> but I don't want to sell my house, though. No. <laughs> but can you tell us, practically speaking, are insurance companies, are they easy to get on board? They're like, oh, yeah, something that's insulated with hay and hemp, that's fine, we'll insure you. Or um, you, is there enough natural buildings around the country that they're familiar with the building process, or are they still hesitant? Do we need to evolve on this idea? Yeah, I wouldn't say that they're familiar, um, but what I, um, but you can educate them, right? So the the number one thing is that every every building I design is one hundred percent compliant with U.S. building codes. Okay, and so that is the number one thing the insurer wants to know. Yeah, and so that's you know that's the primary variable that makes it mm-hmm. insurable. I've never had a client who couldn't get insurance for their home. Okay. That's and I've never had know. a client who paid more insurance for their home. I never there used to be a great that. database online, but it's gone. That was all of the insurers throughout the U.S. But yeah. that's that database no longer exists. Do you think there's a, 
not a lot, but do you think there's uh, natural builders in Florida? Is it easy to find one in every state? Or depending on the oh. weather, is it easier to find people in the Southwest who would make a natural building? I don't know the answer to that. I know there's there's I know there's a straw bale building in every state except for Delaware. Okay, it's tiny. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Like I don't know. I know I know there's someone in South Carolina and someone in Georgia, but I don't know specifically somebody in Florida. But I'm also in my own little bubble. Gotcha. Yeah. Sure, You're busy right. too. It's yeah. hard to keep up with everything. Yeah. Of everybody's so, lives. speaking of which, sure. we know that you do workshops that oh, yeah. teach people how to be sustainable and how to do natural buildings. So, can you tell us a little bit about the workshops and what you learn? Uh, so I basically for each design client I offer to do use their home as a classroom and it's basically a win-win-win. I get to teach, which is my passion. Um, they get a lot of, so the difference with natural building is it's often a much cheaper material, but much more labor intensive. Um, so the end is the same cost, but there's a lot of, a lot more labor that goes into it. Mm -hmm. um, when you do a workshop, you have a lot of bodies to do that labor. It's also really easy to learn. And so the teaching gives the homeowner lots of bodies on the job. It gives the people who come and participate an education. Um, and it's always fun on top of that. <laughs> I want to know how many people can come to those bills. Like if you have the class, uh, I know that they fill up really fast because I was checking. And uh, how many people are can you have there to help? What's, you know, the uh, excess folks that are trying to learn? Um, it depends on the workshop. Uh -huh. um, there's a few that I, that it's only like 16 or so. Okay. Um, but for the most part, um Usually 30 to 35 is a manageable number. I can do more, but I like to remember everybody's name by the end of the weekend. And when it's more than that, I can't remember their names anymore. <laughs> That's a good cue. <laughs> I'm, I, what I'm thinking is in California, in certain parts of California, there's a lot of homeless people. Of course, in Florida, oh. there also is. And they're trying to create this affordable housing. And then by the time that they're done in California, the affordable housing cost $800,000. And obviously you can make a house for cheaper than that. So now I'm thinking if we make these natural buildings and we get people involved in creating their own homes, mm -hmm. that seems also like a win-win-win. It does. Oh, for sure. Yes, for sure. There's, there's actually a really great organization called Community Rebuilds and they're in Moab, Utah. And they kind of took the Habitat for Humanity model and married it with natural building and education. Oh, I um, love that. And so, yeah, so they build affordable housing at a fraction of the cost that are super energy efficient. So they mm -hmm. don't have a big burden over time. And people come and build them and learn how to build them, which well, is yeah, where did you say cool. that was located? The community rebuilds in Moab, Utah. Okay, community rebuilds. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. So, um, so let's see. Uh, Line one. And I read about you know the the custom architectural design portion of your program, uh, and also involving uh, the people that you're building with. Can you elaborate on uh, some of these things, please? 
Um, well, the design process I do, I call it collaborative design because I want people to participate. I want them to feel like they're designing their home mm-hmm. and I'm helping them make decisions throughout the process. So how do you create a series of informed decisions so people know what the ramifications of each choice is? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a and caller then, here. I want to. We have somebody that wants to talk to you. So let's get them right. on real quick, and then we'll roll back to what we were talking about. Thank you, okay. Siggy. Yep. So on uh, line two, we have Tina from Alabama. Hi, Tina. Oh, I'm from Alabama. Hi, Tina. Hi. Who's from Alabama? Annie. I'm from Mobile. Hi. Oh, hi, Annie. <laughs> I'm from Bur- the Birmingham. Area. Oh, very good, Vulcan. Hi. Thank you. Hello, Siggy. Hi. It is so nice to speak with you. I have been following you online for a number of years, oh, and I good. love your work. You are the most amazing craft person I've ever seen. Um, I'm I'm really interested in a couple of things. I my, I feel very frail as an individual. I'm an uh, an older person, and um, I get afraid of the idea of beginning a project project like this on my own, that I won't be able to sustain myself physically through, um, as well as even emotionally and anxiety-wise, trying to figure out all of the I's to dot and T's to cross from the beginning of design through permitting and uh, all of that management. So I want to ask two things. One, (laughs) how can you um, assist me in taking a first step, maybe? And secondly, in your work professionally, do you support the person who wants to build this home with the the um, details of creating the plan and getting the permitting and just getting through all of the hurdles? And thank you for letting me ramble a bit with my question. I know, it's a great question. Um, and thanks for your kind words. Um, the The second part of your question is really easy to answer. Yes, I actually support clients all the way through construction, whether they're hiring a contractor or whether they're building their own home. Um, so that part's easy. Yes, I supply all of the information you need for permitting and construction. Um, the first part of what your next step would be, I would say... Um, you need a support team, right? So um, I know there's a woman in South Carolina. Uh, she might be the closest person I know offhand who's an architect. Um, her name is April McGill. Her company is Root Down Designs. Um, she might be someone to contact, but if you have a support team, um, they will help answer any questions as they come up and give you support from the get-go. Um, yeah. Did that answer your question? Well, but yes, thank you. By support team, do you mean the professionals that I would hire to get me started in going on this? Or do you mean a group of friends, family, whatever? Because those folks are not so supportive with the general idea of... Yeah, well, you are in Alabama. <laughs> okay. I mean, first of all, you have one of the oldest straw bale buildings in the United States is in Alabama. Really? Built in 1936. Wow. Yeah. That's good to know. Still around. Yeah. Where it's a museum now, but not a straw bale, not for straw bale. It's just an art museum. 
Huh. Where is that? Do you know? I mean, of course you know. Uh, I have to look. I'd I'll have look to look it up. It up. No I problem. can't remember off the No end. problem. I'll, yeah. Google, I'll Google that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so by support team, it, the construction part, it depends how you're approaching construction. So there's everything from hire a builder to build yourself and everything, every gray area in between. So for example, even clients that I have who want to build their own home, they usually don't have framing experience, so they don't know how to put up a roof structure, for example. So they'll hire out the foundation and the structure and all of that, and then they'll do the natural building pieces, right? So that's one way to do it. And then your support team could be someone who comes to teach workshops, or it could be um, a, a local natural builder, that okay. um, like I know there's someone in Kentucky. I don't I don't know your area in the Southwest that's, as well as I should have done some research before this. It wouldn't be. It's not a worry. It wouldn't be in Alabama anyway. It would likely be in Ohio. And I, and well, I know that there's definitely know, folks in Ohio. Yeah, in West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. I just love and then that. if you ha if you if you work with someone to design it that has experience with natural building, they are your first and foremost support team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, and how far out are, is your calendar scheduled? Uh, two years. Dang, okay. <laughs> Hopefully I'll make it. <laughs> you better, better oh, you're going to make it. Later than later. You're going to make it. <laughs> Thank you, Tina, for calling in. Thanks, Thank Tina. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure and honor, Siggy. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. That's just the way we feel, too. Yes. Thanks, Dana. So we want to remind listeners that they're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF, Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Siggy Coco, the principal designer at Down to Earth Design. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. Siggy, what percentage of your work is houses compared to barns and sheds and smaller builds? Cobb ovens and so on. Um, well, I don't, usually if somebody calls and says, I want to design a shed, um, I say, I'm not your person because it would cost me, it would cost so much to hire me to design something for a smaller project. So mm -hmm. I actually don't, don't do those. Um, I do, I would say 90% of my work is homes and about 10% is commercial buildings. Okay. How long, is there an average of how long the home takes to build once the design is set? It depends on the size and it depends on who is building it so if it's fairly modest in size so let's say you know 15 1600 square feet and you're hiring a contractor it could be six to eight months to construct that's start not to bad finish. at all yeah i mean sort of in line with conventional um if it's either smaller and you do lots of workshops or if it's larger and you just hire a contractor um, it's probably eight months to a year um, and if you're purely homeowner, homeowner builder it usually takes three years so the first year getting the structure all sorted the second year doing all the natural building and the third year doing all the finishes mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear that commercial buildings are also interested in this natural building style that's enlightening yeah do you see 
the future of building turning to more natural or are people still, are people environmentally conscious or are they still Stark. more economically conscious or, you know, what's easier? I mean, I'm kind of in a bubble to answer yeah. that question because <laughs> yeah. everyone that contacts me is already, they're already they're so on board. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Glad yeah. to hear though. Really. Can you tell us what are some of the commercial buildings that you've done? Um, so, uh, one is a series of buildings at a retreat center. Um, and then, um, I have sort of an ongoing commercial client that's a vineyard. And so we started with a tasting room and then we've built a barrel storage room and then, uh, the bottled wine storage building. And now we're building a new fermentation building and on and on and on. That sounds perfect because then it's like the cave situation that would feel just a lot like that. That's great. That's a good idea. Yeah. Aesthetically, too. Just beautiful. So, got a caller. Yes. Thanks, Siggy. So, on the line, we have Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how are you doing today? We're doing good. Good. Are you going to tell us about the events that are happening in the area? Yes, I am. Yay. Yes. Today, we have an online event uh, this evening at 7 put on by the Florida Native Plant Society about uh, white sulfur butterflies. That information can be found uh, on their event page on Facebook. You can look at Florida Native Plant Society or Couplet Fern Florida Native Plant Society. And then this coming Saturday, there is uh, a little bit of a a drive, but I think I'm going to make it. It's up to Gainesville, Florida Wildflower Day at the Florida Museum. And that can also information can be found online. The address for that is 3215 Huff Road in Gainesville at the Florida Museum of Natural History. And then we also have uh, a couple of events coming up uh, over this uh, with this uh, what is the Edible Peace Patch Project. <laughs> the Edible Peace Patch Project is a nonprofit that puts organic gardens into public schools with a uh, high uh, free and reduced lunch. Uh, most of them are Title I schools. So uh, they're all in the Pinellas side. And we had one today. This morning it's a shutdown of the garden for the year. And then on Wednesday, there's going to be another one at Lakewood. And then there's several other ones in the upcoming weeks on Mondays and Wednesdays. So you can find out information on their uh, Facebook page. It's the Edible Peace Patch Project. And uh, like I said, most of those are going to be uh, in St. Petersburg and a couple of the outliers. And then we have a couple this Saturday coming up. So it's Sustainable Saturdays at the Sunshine Fresh Market. The address is 1335 22nd Street South. They are looking for sustainable-minded vendors. So maybe some people listening uh, have sustainable products that they'd like to uh, participate in the market and also people to come and support. So they are their focus is for equitable uh, access to healthy foods. And let's see, we have another one on Saturday. It's, uh, sorry, Sunday, Monday. This uh, Sorry, Friday the 20th, we have a gardening workshop, uh, veggie, fruit, crops for, uh, veggie and fruit crops for your summer garden plus hands-on seedling planting that's in Gulfport and the address is 5317 Gulfport Boulevard and you're going to learn about how you can grow things even in the summer here in Florida. I don't know how much time I have left but am I coming out to... How about one more one more event? Oh, okay. So coming <laughs> up uh, first, this is a pretty big event so it's uh, going to put on your radar. It's the first Monday of June. So that's my alarm going on. <laughs> that's June 6th and it's going to be uh, Summer Gardening with Bill Bilodeau. He's kind of a legend in uh, Tampa Bay area, mm-hmm. uh, one of the founders of Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition, as well as the uh, former president and president of the Florida Native Plant Society in the past. 
and he's going to be giving his annual uh, classes very well attended. So it's going to be at Enoch Davis Center at 1111 18th Avenue South in St. Petersburg, and that is in person. And we will have an online version as well. We've been having some hiccups with the technology, but we think we have it kind of figured out. <laughs> so you can do that online or or in person, but I definitely recommend in person. We will have uh, some seed swapping and cutting sharing oh, as well. That and sounds some wonderful. Other yeah. Is there a limit to that uh, group, just just for my information? For the online or in No, person? for the in-person. In-person, we're getting uh, the double room, so I believe it's about 300 limit. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. We're, get, we're getting a really big room for this one because... Uh, he's a big... Really, yeah, he's a big yeah, deal. Is, he really is. Yeah, it's usually over 100. We think we're going to have more than that this year with all oh. of the, the different tabling. Thank, Thank you, Lisa, you. for that calling in. great. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thank you. And back to Siggy. So um, thanks for being patient with us. We have to let everybody, not have to, but we, we like <laughs> we to. We want to encourage but, the yeah, local sustainable exactly. events. Exactly. And, and, and let's absolutely. say listeners couldn't write all that down. They go to WMNF.org and they can listen to our show, the archive show, and they yes. can just fast forward to that part. Or they can go to the Sustainable Living uh, WMNF Facebook page where we have all of those events posted. Yes, and that's so helpful to us locally. So I wanted to ask you, you, you had said something about, you know, how long it takes to make these houses and so on. And you said something about, well, if you have a workshop, uh, you, uh, and I'm guessing that that means, when you, I'm sure you'll tell me if, it, if I guessed right, uh, if that means that if you do have the workshops at your place, then that means you're going to have the bodies there to be able to do this work, to be able to get that done quickly. And you said it depends on how many workshops you have. So I wanted to know about that and also, how do, without talking about uh, the fees, um, how do they get into your workshops and what does that entail, please? Oh, awesome. Um, so in terms of, um, well, to find a workshop, it's on my website. So yes. www.buildnaturally.com. And then I think it's just backslash workshops, but there's a link on every page to yeah, the workshops. It's, your page is wonderful. It's really easy to navigate. Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> so what's the um, deal with having the people there? Does that, uh, do they sign up on the workshops on your site and then they go to this job that's in process and then that helps um, navigate this and get that done quickly or quicker? That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, so so we do just a, it's a class, right? So we start the first day and I, and I, tell them lots of stuff, like so all the background information that they need to know, usually for about 90 minutes, and then we start doing stuff, and then I talk to them again, and then we do more stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the goal is, um, you know, to do hands a few on weeks' worth of time in one day. Yeah, you know? hands-on learning. I mean, that's the best yeah. way, you know, hearing it, seeing it, doing it on uh, Facebook or on a web page or anything like that is not anything like doing it in person with the person that is designed and has the skill load to be able to manage it. I just appreciate that so much. I think we have a... Oh, and a I, go ahead. Oh, I just, I find that um, when you learn something from a video, there's no feedback loop. Right. So you, you watch it and then you go to do it. And if there's anything that's different yeah. than from the video, you don't know how to modify what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and when I'm there in person, I can say, oh, gosh, if you just hold your hand this way. Right. The little quirky 
techniques that you know you learn as you do it but still like you said if you don't hold your hand exactly this way or use that particular little hand tool to do that thing it's going to collapse so i just love this i want to make something (laughs) (laughs) so we do have a email siggy and they said that they're surprised with the cost of wood prices increasing that the cost Mm -hmm. to build a natural home is about the same and they're wondering is there a structure built in which the hay hemp plaster is built around it or around the wood frame? Yeah, is there a wood frame is kind of what they're asking. Or Yeah, so with straw bale there's two ways to do it. One is called Nebraska style, which would be load bearing straw bale. Um, and in that case, you stack the straw before you ever have the roof. You stack the straw, and then you build sort of just one big box beam over the whole wall, and you cinch it down, and then you can support oh. a roof on top of that. Um, the way I do it, because we're in an area that could rain any day of the year, um, I build a structure first, and it's essentially a skeletal structure as opposed to a stud frame structure. So it's called post and beam, but it's not necessarily timber frame. So it looks like pieces that are pieces of wood that are far apart and a beam that spans from one piece of wood to the next. And then the roof or the floor framing sits on top of that beam. Um, and then the straw is infilled in between. With hempcrete, you need stud walls. You need a smaller cavity. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because it doesn't have the long pieces. Is there a size limit to how big the building can be with a natural design? Not that I know of. I mean, there's a 15-floor clay building in Yemen, I think it is. 15 floors? Wow. Yeah, and it's, oh gosh, I mean, it's hundreds of years old and it's still standing. That's remarkable. Um, I the biggest straw bale I know is six stories. I'm, there's probably taller, but that's the only one I know of. Wow. I'm so impressed by this. This is wonderful. And, you know, like you just said. ends up being the width of the wall because you have such a, with straw bale specifically, you have a, you know, on the, on the East Coast, it's about a 20-inch wall. And on the West Coast, it's either a 20 or 26-inch um, wall. So your wall is quite thick compared to conventional construction, and that's yeah. usually a bigger limitation. And that makes me think about how you were talking about square footage. So if you have square footage that's exterior to interior, so that makes a big difference on how you're planning your interior walls or your interior sure. living space. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are, are there any definite no-nos or common mistakes that you can warn listeners of? If they're, yes. if, the, if, they're, if they're building <laughs> or, or if they're contacting somebody, uh, yeah. So what, um, are some, what are some things to watch out the for? The big ones are if you're, if you're not sure if you need an insulator or a mask, choose an insulator for your outside walls. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one would be if you're building straw bale, don't use rebar, that metal, the <gasps> metal bars that are from concrete, don't use rebars to pin them together. Um, don't use gravel. Why? Why? Why, What's would, that? You, why would you not? Oh, use so it, it creates a condensation point. So the oh. the metal is ambiently cool, and so as humidity travels through the wall, it hits that cool metal, and just like a glass of ice water sure. on a humid day, you get water on the outside. Yeah, the same thing would happen, but in your wall. So now. much sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then, the- um, and then for this same reason, don't put gravel. There's this detail that floats around of people using gravel underneath their straw bales, but mm-hmm. it should be insulation underneath, not not gravel. And insulation um, as in what? Um, it could be anything. It could be, um, I mean, it could be foam, but it could be like I've used packing peanuts, um, vermiculite, perlite. It could be hempcrete. It could be um, a bat insulation, like uh, recycled cotton. You know, really any any insulation. Um, uh, so something, anything ones? on top of the gravel uh, base that you were talking about. The rubble. Base. Well, the gravel is for the foundation, but there's then you build a base underneath the straw bale and it just kind of lifts the straw bale up. So in case you had a leak inside yeah. and, you know, like your toilet overflowed and you have an inch of water in your bathroom, you don't want the bottom of the straw to get all wet. Yeah, then because it would then draw it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes so much yeah. sense. All of this makes so much sense to me. I love it. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I love that you uh, are able to manage that within the confines of permitting and in the, the guidelines of, uh, you know, how it's set up for uh, the architectural uh, designs to be um, fit into each city's types of uh, restrictions. That's uh, mm. pretty remarkable. Oh, yeah. Thank you. You're I welcome. mean, I think that's the way to take something and move it forward. Oh, absolutely. Just to marry conventional with, you know, the new thing you're trying to do or yes. the new old thing you're trying to do. Yeah, because if you don't touch that and bring it forward, you know, uh, it's going to just stay stagnant because the yeah. the modern style building is just not going to relate. Uh, but it is very relatable, completely relatable. Right. So great. So, Siggy, we got 40 seconds with you. Can you remind listeners your social media and your website to visit to learn more? Um, I am mostly just Build Naturally. So, Instagram, Build Naturally. Twitter is Build Naturally. On Facebook, I'm Build Naturally with Siggy Coco. And my website is buildnaturally.com. Very easy. <laughs> and yes, we're going to have, like that. and Annie, we're going to have show notes, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are, because I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so On the spot. If you go on. to WMNF.org, in a few hours, we will have show notes, and we will have all those links <laughs> to Siggy. So, Siggy, you are wonderful. And the next house, hopefully, I can build naturally. Yeah. And we would like to remind listeners, if they enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org and donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Tampa's Monday music with Alita and Tom Collins. Hi, guys. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, to to listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show, where we will be talking with recycling specialists from the city of Tampa. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF to stay in the loop. I'm Kenny Coogan. And I'm Annie Ellis. Remember, you are looking for someone to save the world. Look in the mirror. Bye. Bye.